you're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. And we are here discussing a book with many titles by Nisio Isin. If you have understandably just flinched in fear at what I'd said, yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Then you're this book is, in its <laughs> latest English iteration, called <laughs> Decapitation, Kubikiri Cycle, The Blue Savant and the Nonsense User, but Zaragato Book 1 is probably the easiest way uh, <laughs> to contextualize it. Contextualize, I guess, is a, a different thing. I've been calling it Decapitation. Yes, I would call it Decapitation as well. That is that is the terminology we will use. Because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, that's what happens in the book. People get de- decapitated. So, like, it's just easier to remember. Or do they? Or do they? That's for you to figure out as we as we go in the mystery. So I've got a, I've got a page of information that I've researched here. Well, it's just a text document on my computer, but it's compiled by several wikis and a few questions of friends that says that Nisio Isin is one of the most successful mangaka or creators of manga in Japan, mm-hmm. responsible for big series oh like Monogatari, others like Katana Gatari, Pretty Boy Detective Club, which is why we're doing this entire nonsense, Zaragoto, the anime adaptation mm-hmm. of this particular series. It just keeps going. And he has a very eclectic, chaotic style with lots of first-person monologue, lots of pointless detours. There's lots of roundaboutness <laughs> to the dialogue and the description. And can I tell you, I've, I've been doing my own research into this because like, I'm vaguely familiar with the Bakemonogatari series, but I haven't watched it. So I want to know what kind of person is writing this, this horrifying book that we're, we're diving into today. I've learned that apparently when he was an aspiring mangaka, he realized that he couldn't draw very well. So he decided to write novels instead because he figured that no one would care if his handwriting was bad. And he goes so far as to say, apparently, according to his Wikipedia page, that dialogue is like the most important part of his writing. And I choose to interpret that as he spends the most time writing dialogue (laughs) and internal monologue. Like... Rather than using regular narration to lay out what's going on in a scene, he'll have his character perceive what's going on and then go on a diatribe about yes. the various ways yes, in which indeed. he could interpret what's going on. But it's not like, what does the color of the paint mean? It's like, I had decided not to act, which is inherently allowing something to occur and is not allowing things to occur <laughs> and elements of agency in and of itself. And it's like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> like what you're saying is true, but but this this book is really interesting. It like you can you can tell its debut in a lot of senses, and it won an award. Apparently, it won the Mephisto award. Uh, it's very clunky. One of the things that was most obvious to me was the way that he will always describe things way too much until suddenly he decides to mm-hmm. do something actually evocative. But you're like, wait, hold on, no, that one, that's the one that needed more description. Go back to that. He leaves you hanging as to what that phrase means until probably a future novel, honestly. There's a lot of things in this book that are not actually explained, mostly to do with the main character who has a mysterious backstory, Ooh. which mirrors that of the author himself. What are you suggesting that E-Chan <laughs> here might have a bit of a self-insert E-chan? quality? I refuse to call him E-Chan, but yes, obviously. Like he's, obviously this is, this is a 20-year-old writer writing what he knows, which is great. And the character is like, 
His, his whole thing is that he's not a genius. He doesn't want to like leave a mark on the world, but he's kind of drawn to do it because somebody has to. And for actual evidence, he attended a university program that Nisio Issen did, but dropped out before graduating much in the same way that his protagonist does. Also, I just want to, just so we have this out of the way, he gets hit on by basically every female well, character that, in the book. Yeah, that's every and character. That's every every character except for one. Th- th- there is a gap between <laughs> the style of flirtation that Shinya is expressing and everyone else. But, yeah. you know, I, I choose to believe that this is equal opportunity. It's not like this book would do anything silly like spend 14 pages whacking on uh, feminism. Uh, whoa. Although it is interested in classism. Shall we talk about the actual story sure. for a moment? So this story is set, as with a lot of Agatha Christie, inspired by books are on an island run by a rich woman. Mm -hmm. She brings geniuses to her island because she likes to hang out with them, question mark. Yes. There's a scholar, a painter, a techie, which is Kunikisa, the the main character's like friend, attache, girlfriend, question mark. She keeps trying to get him to sleep with her. It's a whole thing. There's all these geniuses, and then there's the the characters that the geniuses have brought along with them, and there's the four maids. So the book very much draws this distinction between two types of people on the island, that there's these geniuses, and Iria, who is a genius by her wealth, she's like in the same class as everybody else, even if she's not actually a genius. And then there's the non-geniuses, the the maids and, and servants, effectively. The other interesting thing about this collection of geniuses is we do have the painter, Konami, who is our, our victim so far in this story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is actually the most interesting point of self-insertion. Sure. Because, you know, you were saying that the reason that Nisio switched over to, like, writing light novels instead of doing manga was because he couldn't draw and the antagonist character that we have so far Akane Sonoyama is constantly chastising Konami's ability as painting as not like real genius it's not a real talent anyone could do it yeah that's where the kind of grayness of the novel comes in and it's it's a question that the novel's going to kind of ask you about like why do we brand certain people as geniuses and certain other people not because the 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 real twist is that our our nonsense user despite telling us he's not a genius and everybody else saying he's a waste of space and he should just go and die he's our detective right like he's the one who through simple truths and basic observational skills is going to put things together what do you make of our fortune teller by the way she seems to be able to literally tell the future. I mean, obviously, as the mystery solver in the story, I have to say that it's nonsense, but also having seen Nisio Asin write several things before against my will, (laughs) I would not be surprised if we're just going to get into a full world of metaphysics and pretend like it isn't existing in the background of this murder mystery. There's sort of a question of whether she's using some sort of parlor trick to, you know, cold read people, or maybe she does research and can you know, predict how people will think based on their past experiences. But the novel sort of half-heartedly taps on this idea that like cold reading exists and that you could just kind of make these suggestions, but it also doesn't spend a lot of time on it and it leaves its own ideas kind of hanging in the air in a strange way. I mean, they bring up the idea of ESP specifically, which is extra sensory perception. Yeah, it's just kind of like accepted uh, that there are two different types of psychic power that people can have and also telepathy maybe sometimes. The mistress of the island. Everything we've seen from her, she's quite authoritative. Like 
as soon as the murder happens, she almost seems to treat it like a little bit of a game. Like she's going to, I don't know, push people around and solve it. And it's only through our protagonist intervening that the equilibrium of, you know, who's suspected and who's not is restored. Well, I mean, you say that, but we also have our protagonist just going in, tampering the crime scene, dragging the body That's somewhere <laughs> else, doing a running jump over the main thing that sets people's alibis like, See, I wasn't interested in interrogating his actions, but it's just true. He does a lot of very crime scene breaking things, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. They even like take the body and like bury it in the woods or something. If they were actually planning on calling the police, which again, the headmistress says we cannot call the police. It's just something we don't do here. They'd, they'd ruin everything. <laughs> this character kind of denying the existence of the police allows our protagonist to get a bit more hands-on yeah it is very strange because like at once there are the very clear stakes of oh no what if someone kills again but yeah the novel has almost gone to lengths to establish the lack of stakes like yeah we'll keep the police out of here they'll ruin the fun yeah we'll leave the crime scene unattended yeah we'll just kind of lock someone up and presume that because we're all geniuses our understanding of how the murderer may or may not act now is perfectly sealed away by us locking the prime like what what is going on with that? How does locking up the prime suspect prevent anyone else from killing? So it's a mafia thing is what it is. It's the idea that if you were playing a game of mafia and you had the power to lock someone away for a night in the in your turn of mafia, yes. where they couldn't be affected by anything or that you would be able to watch or whatever, then if someone kills that person, then you would know that that person is not the killer. Don't get me wrong. I definitely do understand that. But in the last section of the show today, when we're talking about the mystery, I have some complaints to make about quote unquote genius. <laughs> Which genius? Exactly. <laughs> this is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SCR 107.3. We are talking Decapitation, the first novel in Nisio Sin's Zaragoto series. We'll be back with more of that in just a second. This is 2SCR 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here for your murder mystery world tour. International crime writing festivals are some of the best book celebrations in the world, with huge events like Bloody Scotland and Boochicon attracting the most passionate and friendly group of nerds you will ever see. Here in Australia, we're lucky to have both Terra Australis in Tasmania and in our own backyard, the Bad Sydney Crime Writers Festival. Bad sees the world's best crime writers gather at the State Library of New South Wales for a weekend of interrogating and enjoying the genre. And I am thrilled to be joined today by the artistic director of the festival, Catherine dupoulou Menager. It's so good to have you back, Catherine. Welcome to Death of the Reader. Thank you. It's always great to be here. You know, last year was the first time we spoke on the show and I had to ask the basic questions like, why do you call it Bad Sydney Crime Writers yeah, Festival? Yeah. But I've graduated. I've graduated. You've moved on. <laughs> and I think that one of the most interesting things about this year's lineup on the festival, other than the fact that Herds and I are hosting a panel, which we'll which get to. Which is crucial. Yes, absolutely crucial, is that I feel like there's a real key set of topics that the festival has been interrogating each time I've been over the past few years, mm. looking at uh, hate crimes and discrimination, the fun of the genre, and also this sense of where the genre goes next. Why do you think those are the key topics that the festival keeps tackling each year it runs? Well, I suppose I think they're the important topics. I mean, this year, for the first time, we've got a, a theme, and the theme is a place for every crime story and a crime story for every place. And anybody who pays attention to the federal government's arts policy will know that that's our adaptation of their a place for every story and a story for every place. <laughs> and what that's so what we're really about is not just saying come and hear fiction, 
crime fiction writers because it is very hard to get international people to come here. We nearly got a couple of people this year, but it, well, we've got some Kiwis. Yes. Actually, they're international. We've got four <laughs> Kiwis or maybe even five Kiwis. And, uh, only one of them lives <laughs> in Melbourne. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's true, actually. I think that's pretty, that's pretty good. Um, so what we're really trying to do is look at just look incredibly broadly at crime. Where's the genre going? Yeah. Well, that's because the genre is evolving all the time. I mean, I've read my first two trans crime novels. Maybe you've read more, but I really hadn't read any until about six months ago. Yeah. So, and, and what we see, what I certainly see, is as soon as there's a topic that is an issue, a topic, an area that is of real importance bang, in it, in it goes into crime fiction almost immediately mm. and, and in an accessible way that anybody can read and anybody can enjoy and think about. Yeah, and I think it's also so fascinating because like, we do have that sense where obviously because crime fiction is dealing with the grimier parts of life that there's less yeah. of a barrier to including those sorts of details. But then when we get to things uh, like the no longer getting away with murder panel, mm. we're now also looking at kind of the implications of that rather than just the fictionalization of that. What I also find interesting is, is people's lived experience of crime. Yeah. So the title of that session comes from a book called Getting Away With Murder and It's Crime. I mean, the other thing that I'm looking forward to, because I know nothing about it, is the session about what happens when you get arrested. Like, if you accidentally ran over somebody, what would happen? Do you know? No, I don't think most people would. No, I mean, obviously the police would come, but what would they do? Would they take you away in handcuffs? Mm. So th I thought that process would was a really interesting one. Yeah. And again, what we've done is to have lived experience. I think one of the really fun things that the festival engages with is that sense of crossing the true crime to fictional crime boundary and talking about where that overlaps. One of the best sessions last year uh, was the one that Michael Muhammad Ahmad, yeah. Sarah Ayub, yeah. and goodness, I've, I've forgotten the other two guests, but that that session was really fantastic. Michael Muhammad Ahmad is back with two more sessions of that flavor uh, this year. Yeah. Well, so he's talking, what I've called his session Wild West, yes. question mark. So is it, you know, is that the only stuff that happens in Western Sydney? Mm. Drive-by shootings, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously not. Yeah. And um, we've got um, Shankari Chandran, who won the Miles Franklin, um, and who's going, who's going to talk to us about that, along with Mohammed and Winnie Dunn. It's, it's really looking at that intersection between perceptions yeah. and realities. Mm. The other thing that Mohammed's doing, and is actually part of, of a bigger topic, is um, along the lines of a place for every crime story and yes. a crime story for every place, I wanted to get four different views of that topic. Mm. So it's not an unusual thing for a writer's festival to do, but we've never done it. Um, so we've got four writers, including Mah uh, Michael Mohammed Ahmad, talking about what does it mean for you? They're talking from their perspectives, their yeah. particular perspectives. So I think he's going to talk about Western Sydney. Julie Jansen is an Indigenous writer, First Nations writer, who's written the first Indigenous crime novel to be written for a long time, Maduka, yeah. The River Serpent. So I'm assuming that's what she's going to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, Chris Hammer writes rural, but not just rural. He does, he does some um, urban books as well, but he really writes rural Australia incredibly well. Yeah. And his latest book, I don't know if you've had a chance to it's read it. It's sat at the top of my two-read pile, seven. staring me down every day. Oh, yeah. Look, <laughs> it is. And this one is, is fascinating because it's looking at water. And, and then Ash the last one, Ashley well, Ashley. Blunt. What's Ashley going to talk about? Ashley's going to talk about the internet as a place for internet. crime, the ah. dark web as a place for crime. So Ashley as a writer is really spoiled for choice for this panel. 
Like uh, dark mode really went in a lot of places, and her own journey as a writer has gone in a lot of places, like a podcast with um, James Mackenzie Watson. Yeah. yeah, so that's why I thought they made a they made really interesting contrasting mm. perspectives, and that's what makes a good session of addresses by yes. four different people. Yes. But it's a bit new for us, though, so that but that is exciting. I mean, the other thing that is completely new is the literary death. I was just about to say, I didn't know that this was a series until I heard about it at the uh, the launch night for the program this year. Yeah, well, I came across it a couple of years ago, I think it was, at Sydney Writers' Festival. Mm. Um, and I, I was go- hoping to go and I couldn't. And then I looked at it again and I thought, you know, death, match, literally. <laughs> Could yeah. we put crime the in The link that? makes itself. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not hard work. And it is a, a really fun thing. I mean, it... I think Adrian originally, Adrian Todd Zuniga, who started it, really saw it at the beginning as a way of getting writers to read, of getting yeah. the, the written word out there, but in red, in red, you know, in an oral form. Mm. Um, and it's worked really well all over the world for him. So we've got, you know, three, four rather, diff- very different writers, and they're in teams, mm-hmm. they do a bit of reading, then they've got three judges who pick at them on topics like my favorite top uh, my favorite theme is intangibles oh like it could be you know i think your hair's a bit long <laughs> or I, you know i think just above the ear or what about a bus you know so it can be anything then there's literary merit and then there's mm. performance i have a feeling candace fox might do really well on the old performance oh yeah i mean yeah. Candace, Candace seems like she's made for this event. I think so. the first person I thought of when I thought of it was Candace. <laughs> and then finally, I've been, I've been waiting. I've Saving been the best till last. Oh goodness, I've had so many authors every time I come to bad going. Oh, which which panel are you hosting, Felix? And I will say none of them yet. Oh, I'm finally, sorry, Felix. Fi- listen, you don't have to apologize to me. You have to apologize to Ben Hobson, Solari Gentil, Matthew Spence. <laughs> <laughs> But finally, <laughs> yep. no escape. Closed circle mysteries. We're yes. going to be talking with Benjamin Stevenson, Michael Trent, and Michelle Prack. What what finally drew you across the line to convince convince you to trust us with the panel? Oh come on! <laughs> well, I met you properly, I think, because I think when we met last year, I, the 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 program was already kind of yeah. done. And this year, I thought oh, this bloke, well, these blokes. Although I met you first, could do something really good. And then I listened to the program as well, well to, and it shows well. And I thought, well, there we are. And I know you love a closed circle. Oh, yes. And I thought, let's give him some very different circles. Mm. So, I mean, obviously, Ben Stevens, Benjamin Stevenson, you know. Yes, that title explains itself. (laughs) Yeah, we don't really need to go any further. But the others are also... You know, also closed, mm. and all, for for whatever reason. So one is on a on a station in WA, I think, yeah. where there's a, a a flood, and the other Mike, Michelle Pratt's book is more of a thriller, yeah. but with a similar thing. They're locked in a country pub, very yeah. much trapped by the rain, very much trapped by the rain. Who and, will show yeah, up? Who what, comes out of the storm? Gonna, and you will never get the ending. Ooh, challenge. I don't. Yeah. A well, challenge. okay. I'll ask you if you did, but I didn't. I mean, the the twist. It was mm. good, really good, I I'm, thought. I'm very excited for that. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It's wonderful it's to be a right. part of the festival this year. And many more to come with you in them. Oh, here's hoping. <laughs> this is your Murder Mystery World Tour. We will have details up at the website, 2SER.com, or you can head to badsydney.com to find out more about the festival. We're going to jump back in to decapitation in just a second. You're listening to 2SER 107.3.
you're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here. We are talking about decapitation from Nisio Sin's Zaragato series. We are reading up to and including Fourth Day, Part 1, One Decapitation, the first novel in Nisio Sin's debut murder mystery series. And did you know, Herds, that after an 18-year break or something like that, there's actually a new Zaragato book out this year? What?! What for? I don't know. Was this some kind of cunning plan by us to jump on the hype train? Slightly. Slightly, <laughs> I'll confess. I did I did know about this. This okay. is why I suggested that you make us suffer through this uh, book, because that's God. what we're doing. We are suffering. Uh-huh. Uh, the new book is called Kidnap Kidding. Kidnap Kidding? The Blue Savant and the Nonsense User's Daughter. Daughter? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so I'm terrified. Yes, they finally got together. That's, yep, okay. Anyway, let's not think about that too much. I'm already horrified. Can I say, Herd, I've spoken a few times on the show about my note-taking system. Uh-huh. Normally, most of my books are pink and yellow. Pink being motive clues, yellow being mechanical clues. Sure. And then I also put blue for things I like and <laughs> red for things that I don't like. And it's all blue, right? It's all blue. Uh, you love this book. Let me no go issues. Find, let me go find <laughs> oh, the one blue note that I have. Uh, what are all the red notes for? Like, there's lots to complain about in this book. Oh, Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, but like, it's so much. I'd love to know what specifically you're highlighting in your notes book. Just every time Nisio Asin tries to get a character smarter than him to, to say, say something, something smart. smart. Yes. Yes, this is true. And just swings for the fences and misses. Uh, it is... At once, the best and worst part of this book. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's completely absurd. Like, oh my goodness. The the entire scene where we start complaining about the goals of feminism and the, it ends with the line, well, no, not women particularly. Smoking is bad for your health. And she retorts, health is bad for your smoking. <laughs> There's that classic genius wit, I thought. <laughs> It's it. What? <laughs> no. In the words of the book itself, pardon me, mademoiselle, did you just utter something insane? <laughs> yeah, I've got that highlight as the best line in the book because it summarizes really? most of what the characters say. <laughs> yeah, th- there's a lot of that where th- there are even passages that are like quoted, like lots of people highlight them that are just nonsense. My other favorite one is where they're talking about this this program that Kunagisa is working on that'll convert a book into music. Yes. And it sounds like all you're going to get is like a summary of the text in order as like musical notes. So if the if the word is dance, it would go the note D, the note A, <laughs> yes. skip a note and then go CE. Well, obviously like, you have to figure out what note N corresponds to. You have to invent a note. Exactly. But yeah, exactly. The, the, the point is, of course, that what it would put out and is someone, just garbage. Someone asks, what programming language are you using? Visual Basic or C? I don't know a lot about computer programming, but the way that reads to me is like, are you using a bicycle or a tank? It's a good question. The worst part <laughs> is that she's supposed to be the sympathetic techie genius. <laughs> She's not even like one of those. She's supposed to be sympathetic. It's cute. It's what every man wants. A cute, segoy, blue-haired anime girl. You have to take her to bed. You have to do up her hair. And she asks you if you want to bang her. And you say no because you're a nice guy. And that's- <laughs> Was that actually what was happening? Was was she actually petitioning for, yeah. for lewdness? It's, it's bizarre. A charitable reading- might say might say <laughs> that this is the whole point of the book that the geniuses are actually the dumb ones and the protagonist who is the non genius is actually the smart one. But that is the charitable reading, and I will not back down from that. 
from that level of classification. <laughs> and it spends an awful lot of time making that point, if that is what it's making. But the thing that's nice about this, Herds, is it means that mystery-wise, I, I don't actually have that many notes. What do you mean? You know, we've got switching of cognitive channels. We've mm-hmm. got the fact that operating systems like multiple personalities for a computer, people having no prides, links or attachments, you know, individuals that are selected from a small sect. I think, Herds, we are dealing with a multiple personality problem. Oh, damn. And that is my theory for today's murder mystery world tour. Okay, let's lay out because we could talk around the mystery for a really long time because the mystery, let's be real, it's not that important, but- The actual contents of of the case are that there has been a decapitation during the night. There was an earthquake and Shinya goes to check on his his painter friend and says, oh, my goodness, you okay during this earthquake? And she says, I'm okay, but some some paint spilled. Yes. And so we come in the morning and find that there is a river of paint that is uncrossable. It's literally... Nobody you could can get across do a the running paint. jump and get any further than halfway. <laughs> any further than a 19-year-old boy couldn't do it. And this this painter's headless body is beyond the river of paint. So I guess I'm I would love for you to tell me how we can break this unbreakable seal of paint that nobody saw fall over at some point during the night. My, my theory is, Herds, that the triplets, the triplets. <laughs> yes, the three maids. They are in on a scheme together. There is a Good. mute one of them. Terrico. And I reckon that basically our victim, Kanami, was asked to read something about the paint spilling mm-hmm. into a recording that oh was played goodness. over the phone to Shinya. Was she rehearsing for a play or something? No, maybe maybe someone, either the mute sister the mute or sister. one of the other sisters acting as their mute sister was like, oh, could you read this out for me? No, hold on. Let's get this Let's get this straight, just so we understand our maid archetypes here. Terako is the, the cold mute one. Uh, Akari is the fiery cindere one. And Hikari is the demure one that, that the protagonist is really into. And yes. that's how we clarify them. Anyway, yes, continue. So my theory is that Hikari is going to be the the lead culprit here, uh, probably acting uh, as Teruko. Okay. Because we obviously have to punish oh, the no. protagonist, Ichan. Stop calling him that. <laughs> Please. Why? I mean, thanks. Call him the nonsense user. Call him I, the nonsense I, user. I need you to understand, Herds, it causes me pain as well. <laughs> it's so bad. But if people aren't reading this book along with us so that they can enjoy the suffering, they need to receive at least a slice no, of the torment we're going through. I don't want to call it Echan. The worst part is- You don't is, have to, but I, I will. Can I tell you, the worst part is I've seen reviews online that call call him Lee Chan because they think it's an L when it's a capital I. Although maybe it is an L. You know, maybe I'm the wrong one. Either way, it's conf- it's, no, it's awful. No, it, it's 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 an I. Good. Because it's, it's, it's a pun annoying. because it's, it's, it's yeah, first no, person. I it's I chance. This is his first novel, Flex. You can't be so cruel. I can't be <laughs> anyway, so cruel. What's the anyway, <laughs> what's happening in the story? Basically, he is going to have to suspect the one that he's interested in <laughs> as Garry? punishment for not being interested in Kunigisa. Oh my goodness. It's like uh, Doki Doki Liter- Literature Club. I don't know what that is. What do you but mean? I'm just going to go along with Throw it. Throw this man in the bin. He doesn't even know what's happening. You might think to yourself, am I implicating the housemaids in this story against Nox's Decalogue? Yes, absolutely. I fully expect Nisio Asin to break at least seven of Nox's ten rules. But hold on now. How how does the maid get around the paint that's fallen over? They spill the paint after they've killed her. What? Because they have a recording 
which means that they can play the tape about the paint having been spilled over the phone, finish setting up the crime scene after the earthquake, and it's all sorted. But don't you think we should argue for at least 10 pages about how the paint could have been spilled by someone instead of an earthquake? This earthquake wherein it is quite explicitly pointed out that basically nothing fell over. Don't you think that we need to talk about the principle of causality? It makes so much sense that we have to spend- Half of my day <laughs> I think, wasting time talking what. about <laughs> what else possibly could have got this paint onto the ground. Also, I'm going to have to deduct points because you didn't use any Latin phrases to explain how paint can fall without an earthquake. Sorry, I need I need to come up with a Nietzsche quote. Please to rebut, don't. That's how the uh, book to, opens. To rebut this, this point. Also, why decapitation? Why why character head go off and wear head? I, even I won't accept a reasoning that clunky. Come on. I'm just trying to think here what the, it's in the title of the book. second most likely option is. Yeah. Because I got to save the most likely option for my actual theory next week. Of course you are. So I'm going to say that Konami as well as being a great painter, is also a great makeup artist. And so has actually been involved in killing Terrico in her place and has now got makeup on and is acting as Terrico. That makes sense to me. Please pay no attention to the fact that that doesn't fit in at all with the rest of my theory. No, it doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense at all. That's fine. You know what? This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world Hold tour on here now. on 2SER 107.3. Next week, next week we are reading... Up to fifth day to lie. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I don't know why you sounded so panicked as though I was about to not ask you exactly that. Should have done it faster. It's too late. How could I do it faster when you're undercutting me? You had to do it faster. I'm going to decapitate you for You had to do better foreshadowing. Yeah, fifth fifth day to lie. (laughs) This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3. We'll be back with Nessio Asin's decapitation from the Zaragato series. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to 2SER 107.3. We're out of here.